Out, everyone. Welcome to Dangerous Thoughts here on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. Today is some Wednesday evening. I don't even know the date. I never know the date. It's May 18th. Today is May 18th, 2022. And like I said, you're watching Dangerous Thoughts, which airs live almost every Wednesday. I don't always get to it, but usually I try to. This is a show for uh, nerds like me who like to exercise their cognition, to think a little bit, tackle some tough concepts, maybe some stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. I guarantee today will probably make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, today's show is going to be focused mostly on, mostly on one thing. I'm going to zip through four short topics first. I'm going to talk about um, the crypto world uh, and the recent collapse of Terra and Luna couple tokens, which then led to, I don't know where Bitcoin is now, but it was down quite a lot last I checked. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about uh, quickly the three stories on medical authoritarianism, the WHO edition, the California edition, and the Canada edition, all three. We've got medical authoritarianism coming out our ears from everywhere. Um, and then we're going to get in the meat of the show is we're going to have a longer discussion about Saturday's Massacre in Buffalo. Uh, so that will get probably a little heavy. Uh, first, if you are new to Unsafe Space, welcome. In addition to this show, Dangerous Thoughts, um, we have a bunch of other series. Um, Rebel Civics, which also happens on Wednesdays. I think uh, Keith did one today. That's more about um, government and civics, obviously. And we also have a show called 451 Degrees which is about censorship. That's hosted by Alex Maselli. That's every other Tuesday um, show called Narrative Dissonance, which is live on Mondays at, what, 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, where we have journalists come on from outside the mainstream media and talk about the news or what we should be talking about uh, in the news that we're maybe not in mainstream. Thursday evenings, we have Token Minority, Minority Report with your very own Beverly Clark, who is in chat right now. Um, and this Friday, I've got an interview with Scott Horton that should be going up, which is we have a show that we do periodically called. Um, I always forget the name of this show. I don't Beverly's going to laugh at me. I totally forget the name of this show, uh, but we comes out once in a while. <laughs> and uh, it is this Friday. It's an interview with Scott Horton about his new book, um, which is called Enough Already Time to End the War on terrorism. So, oh, also our next book club is House of Leaves by Mark Danielowski on June 12th, and that's hosted by Alex Maselli. So free association. Thank you, Beverly. That's the name of the show. I always forget. <laughs> Maybe we should rename it. I just can never remember the name of that show. All right. And I chose the name, she says in chat. Yeah, I chose the name because it it was what I wanted. I wanted just a, a, you know, a show where we could kind of talk with interesting people about whatever. And uh, it was a fine name, except for that I can't remember. Okay, um, also, before we start, think of someone you haven't shared on Safe Space content with. Go do it right now. Go. Go do that. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed on whatever channel you're watching. We're on YouTube, though maybe not forever, Utreon, Rumble, and Odyssey. Um, and also consider heading over to unsafespace.com. You can watch our stuff there. We don't censor things. Um, you can get rid of some of that useless Terra or Luna or, well, Bitcoin, I think. I don't know if we accept Terra or Luna, but fiat currency, we'll take that. 
Um, and you get yourself, you know, get onto our Discord server, your name and credits, lots of goodies. You get a mug that the TSA won't like, uh, depending on your level of donation if you do that. All right. Shout out to everyone in chat. Um, thank you all for showing up. Oh, wait, one more thing before we start. Next week, we're going to try something new on, on Dangerous Thoughts, which is we're going to try and do a... <laughs> I'm really hesitant to do this because I, I, I'll say right now, I don't like going in front of the camera and not knowing at all what I'm going to talk about. But uh, we're going to try and do a show that's driven by the community. Um, and even if people want to join the stream, we might even do that. So we'll like maybe even put the StreamYard link up. We'll probably limit chat. Uh, as a result of that, we'll probably limit chat only to subscribers. But um, we're going to try and do a community-driven show. You can ask questions, make arguments, bring up discussion topics that you want to explore. Um, so if you got stuff you want to talk about next week, uh, bring it or share it in Discord or in YouTube comments or on Twitter or Gab or send an email to speak at unsafespace.com, whatever, and say, this is what I want to talk about next week. And we will try and do that kind of a show. <clears throat> All right. Let's rifle through really quickly our first four stories, and then we'll get to the heavier stuff. All right, first, let's talk about the crypto stuff. Um, I'm not going to do a whole explanation of Bitcoin. That's I assume most of you understand Bitcoin. Um, but there are a class of cryptocurrencies uh, which are collectively called stable coins. Some of them are misnamed. <laughs> uh, the idea is, as you know, there's a lot of volatility in the crypto space. I mean, um, people have uh, have asked for advice a lot from me about, um, should I buy Bitcoin? Should I do this? Should I do that? I, my general advice is, you know, there's going to be, you got to do it for the long run if you want to do it. There's a lot of volatility. Uh, and, you know, it's been good in the long run. I think, you know, I started buying Bitcoin when it was 600 bucks. That felt like a lot. So, you know, I don't like that it's under 30K right now or whatever it is, but, you know, I don't have a lot to whine about uh, given the purchase price. But, you know, if I had purchased it at 60K and it was now under 30, I'd be, you know, upset. Um, so let's keep that in mind. Anyway, because of the volatility, people started inventing these other uh, cryptocurrencies, and uh, which is a category called stable coins. And the most basic and actually rational version of a stablecoin is a coin that is backed by actual assets. So there are coins, <clears throat> um, Tether, I think, is one of them, although they're kind of, I don't think they've proven that they have the assets, but whatever. It's allegedly each Terra is backed by $1, theoretically, right? So you could you could imagine saying, okay, well, I'm going to have 100 million of these coins, and I've got $100 million in the bank, and I can show you. And so the, the value of the coin is pretty much pegged very closely to the assets. Um, and, you know, people get creative. Some people gold or whatever. Um, and so these are stable coins, uh, as the name might explain, because they are stable. They are designed to not fluctuate so much. So if you're playing around in crypto, you can park some stuff there or use it for transactions for larger stuff, and it ends up, uh, you know, you don't have to suffer through the volatility. <laughs> well, like with anything, there's always someone that comes along and tries to uh, build some vaporware out of something that's cool that people like, uh, or that looks like, you know, <laughs> they try and put lipsticks on a pig and call it a, 
a supermodel, right? So there are other stable coins that aren't backed by any assets at all, but they're called algorithmic stable coins. And, you know, they've got algorithms that I'm sure they pat themselves on the back about that they think are super fancy that make sure the price isn't volatile by buying or buying and selling other stuff. And one such coin, which is quite popular, was Terra. And and there was a, a sister coin called Luna. And basically, like when Terra started to fall below a dollar, they uh, it automatically increased the incentive to buy Luna coins and blah, 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 like all this kind of stuff. Um, so they were pegged, they were related to each other. But of course, both coins were built on nothing and had no assets. Uh, so I'm sure this sounded really great to a lot of people. It sounded apparently really great to a lot of institutional investors. They loved it. Institutional investors really loved this. I'm just going to, I'm not going to read a bunch of stories. I'm just going to read a couple. The largest market cap coin you haven't heard of, Luna. This was published from uh, The Motley Fool on, I think this was the 4th of May. <laughs> Oh no, that's the that's the one on the fifth of May. Hold on, or the third of May. This is the one on the here. We'll start with this one. The largest market cap coin you haven't heard of. This was published in the Nasdaq. This is a Nasdaq article from Motley Fool, so they shared, I guess, articles. Um, largest market cap coin you haven't heard of. It's introducing Luna. It's talking about how great it is. It's got a market cap of thirty billion dollars. Um, Stable coin. It's built to grow. They've got this advertisement here. Built to grow. It's already proven utility instead of just frothy theoretical value, as many hyped altcoins tend to do. Luna's blockchain is proven. It can handle high transaction volume. It's like an ad. Oh, this is great. Luna is awesome. Uh, also noteworthy, Terra recently added $3 billion in Bitcoin to back their currency, which is nothing compared to how much currency they had, but okay. Um, so they go in through all this stuff, uh, and they say... You know, it's awesome, basically. Uh, Terra has laid the groundwork to have a bright future. Luna may be one of the best performing altcoins in 2022 and beyond. May 3rd, from NASDAQ. May 4th. It wasn't just an aberration here. May 4th. This is directly from Motley Fool. Two different authors. Two Top cryptocurrencies to buy now and hold for the next 10 years. Guess what the two are? Well, guess what one of the two is? doesn't matter what the other one is. Guess what the other one of the two is? You guessed it. Terra. Terra is a programmable blockchain powered by two different tokens. First, Terra USD is a stable coin. No. That tracks the US dollar. No. Though Terra coins can be pegged to other fiat currencies as well. Second, Luna is a cryptocurrency that absorbs volatility. Okay, awesome. Uh, keeping each stable coin at the target price. For instance, if rising demand pushes Terra USD above a dollar, the network will incentivize token holders to convert Luna to Terra USD, thereby reducing its price by increasing supply. Yes, that that was the big problem. It's getting too high. <clears throat> the system works the same in reverse. No, it doesn't. Um. Okay. So what happened? Literally, like the next couple days after these articles. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold up this chart. I hope you can see it. I know maybe you can't see it very well, uh, but for those of you who are listening, it's uh you know kind of stable. It's going down a little bit, and then right around May, I don't know fifth, sixth, uh, it looks like it just falls off a cliff, and the line is indistinguishable from zero after that. It's you know basically basically zero. 
So uh, <clears throat> this crashed because it was a house of cards and a Ponzi scheme, and uh, a bunch of institutional people pushed it and wrote articles about it. Uh, and it actually wasn't stablecoin, but they called it a stablecoin because the name sounds cool. And um, and that's what they did. So here's the conspiracy part of me that I'm just, I don't know if this is true. I'm just, I'm going to throw this out there for you guys to investigate. The crypto world has a core of kind of OG crypto people who were very libertarian in their mindset. They wanted to be out of centralized banking. They uh, they wanted an alternative to centralized banking in a fundamentally philosophical way. They despised centralized bankers. Um, they despised the banking industry generally. Um, much more libertarian-esque. Various, I mean, some of them full-on and cap, some of them a little bit more libertarian. But in general, that that's the attitude of that core early crypto people. And along came lots of big money because people saw you could make a lot of money with this. And you start to get actual financial institutions like the problem people, Wall Street, the, the people who this that crypto was designed to combat. You start getting those people interested in crypto and, and backing crypto companies. And you see a large... Um, part of the crypto industry now, maybe even the predominant part of the crypto industry now, um, has been enveloped by the very institutions, players, and industry that it was originally meant to usurp. Um, and those people, they are not, they're not about no regulation. They aren't about decentralization and access. They are about being part of the old boys Wall Street Club. They're about being part of the lizard people that run the Federal Reserve and other major banks. And that's that they're here to make money and they would love for crypto to be converted into like, well, it's basically the same as what we have now, but it's electronic and we're in control of it just like we are the current system. So that's their goal. A lot of those kind of people Back to Terra and Luna. I mean, who do you think runs NASDAQ? Who do you think is involved in writing articles like this? Right? It's these people. It's not the it's not the crypto anarchist types. It's the button shirt, button up, you know, pressed shirt kind of Wall Street people who are just trying to get rich off of crypto. And they love regulation. So, of course, interestingly enough, they do this, right? They by the way, this crash, this this Terra and Luna crash, the reason it crashed is because both coins crashed simultaneously, and it looks awfully suspicious that someone did it intentionally. Like, big money did this, it looks like. We don't know exactly who it was, but if you if you analyze the transactions, it looks like there was, something was done intentionally. Now, you can imagine why you might do this. You might um, short other coins, know that this will have an effect on other coins and make a bunch of money. There's there's reasons to, to sync this. One reason to think it is you want to scare people into clamoring for more regulation. You want to bring crypto into the loving ape arms of Wall Street so it can be crushed to death. So what happened right after this? Hey, I'm just going to read this uh, financial regulation <clears throat> article here from the Wall Street Journal. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Yellen renews call for stablecoin regulation after TerraUSD. Stumble. Oh, oh, how, what a coincidence. Hey, you really need us in Washington. Look how unstable it is. You need us. How about 
How about the Fed get involved? How about we regulate it? How about we bring the Treasury Secretary involved? How about Jan Janet Yellen can tell us we can pass a bunch of regulation. We can have the SEC do stuff, and it'll be great. We'll regulate it just as much as Wall Street, thereby poisoning the very idea behind crypto in the first place. So now there's all these calls to have Congress regulate stablecoin. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terra people, for putting together a piece of crap, convincing your buddies on Wall Street to invest in it, write articles about it, crash it, and then have Janet Yellen tell us, see, we need regulation. Now, again, I'm not, that narrative I'm making up, I don't know, you can look into it, but those are all the pieces there, and it's pretty suspicious if you ask me. I'm hodling my Bitcoin. I don't give a crap that it's down. Okay. Oh, let me do a super chat first. Before we move to the next uh, next quick story, let me find this super chat. This is from Judge Lot. Thank you, Judge Lot. Judge Lot says, this is long overdue, but A plus on narrative dissonance. I really enjoyed that show. Monday's episode was very good. I knew you'd like Keith. I did like Keith a lot. He was great. Um, I liked them both, actually. But uh, yeah, thanks, Judge. Uh, Judge, I we I'm excited about the idea of narrative dissonance, and I'm which we're slowly building it to be the show that I want, and uh, I think it could be good because there's a lot of there is a lot of um, non-mainstream journalism happening right now, and a lot of people I think uh, would like exposure to it. So, Carsar uh, Saint Joseph says. It's no club, Carter. It's even worse. Basically, if you are not a reptile like them, you are not going to hell, to put it succinctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you can you can go with the conspiracy theories as much as you guys want on what planet these people are from, but I do find it suspicious. Okay, let's go on to our medical authoritarianism section, and let's do the WHO edition. Really quickly, um, let's just, uh, I want to set the set the context here. The liberty-loving, look, I know people have problems with Trump. I've got problems with Trump, but um, the Trump was a populist and that he was voted for, most of the people who voted for Trump were anti-establishment, anti-globalist, anti-swamp. I mean, that was his rhetoric that he ran on, regardless of what he did, that was the rhetoric that he ran on. Um, anti-deep state, um, basically anti-all the globalists, everything the globalists want, these liberty-loving Americans um, intuitively felt that Trump represented. Again, whether or not he represented it, it doesn't matter. That was the sentiment. Not racism, by the way. His election scared the crap out of the elites and the globalists. We know that. We don't have to get into that. But they're now looking for ways to bind U.S. presidents in the future because we are unpredictable. Us Americans, we're like the redheaded stepchilds of the world, right? I know it's probably the Irish or Scottish, but whatever. We're metaphorically, we're the black sheep of the world. You never know when we're going to like vote for someone that they don't like. And, uh, you know, they, I haven't watched 2000 Mules yet, but they got plenty of ways to try and prevent all that from happening, apparently. But... They're scared of this. So they want to bind U.S. presidents. So I want to point you to this article. 
This is an article in Life Site. Um, it's called Biden is handing over American sovereignty with proposed World Health Organization treaty. Um, and actually, just before the show started, I didn't have time to print it out, but I got an email from America's Frontline Doctors, um, which is about the same thing. And actually, I took a look at it quickly. I prefer their article, so I'm going to pull it up so we can take a look at it just for a moment. Because um, I want you to, I just want to highlight some things so you see what's going on here. Um, it's quite disturbing. All right. Issue brief. WHO pandemic treaty. This is not. This is not good. Statement of position. During what some have called the eye of the storm in terms of the global pandemic crisis, the governing body of the World Health Organization. Why is this not? Hold on. There we go. The World Health Assembly is quietly planning to vote on an amendment to WHO's international health regulations in just a few days. On May 22nd through May 28th, 2022, this amendment proposed by officials from the Biden administration will serve to give away our nation's health, our country's health care system, national sovereignty and personal freedoms to the WHO on a silver platter. Obviously, this is their characterization, but you should still read this. America's Frontline, America's Frontline Doctors, AFLDS, strongly opposes the creation and implementation of any treaty or international instrument that governs world pandemic preparedness and response. Our, so and then at the second, I'm just going to read the next section. How did we get here? Our own U.S. government has thrown us to the wolves once again. On January 18th, 2022, the United States of America through the Biden administration and Lois Pace of the United States Department of Health and Human Services. I love how there's all these super powerful people that we've never heard of and didn't vote for who just go do stuff. Um, they quietly, quietly is the word they're using here, which I, you know, I didn't see any news, so I guess it was quiet, quietly submitted proposed amendments to WHO's international health regulation. The proposed, so this is coming from the U.S. We were like, hey, WHO, um, how about you be the dom? Here are some amendments to our relationship. <laughs> can you can you imagine? All right. Hey, um, you're not hitting me hard enough, daddy. Here's some proposed amendments. So they send these amendments to the WHO. The proposed amendments were not made known to the public until Sunday, April 10th. Whereupon the WHO acted stealthily with a virtually non-existent public participation process. The WHO invited video and written submissions, which were due by 5 p.m. on April 13th. So three days. We had three days. Um, skipping a little bit. If the proposed amendments are allowed to pass, there is a six-month grace period following the amendment approval during which countries may withdraw their approval. However, it's unlikely that withdrawal of these amendments will occur during this grace period. Blah, 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 blah. Um, what will the amendments change? Essentially, the proposed amendments give power to the director general of WHO, currently Tedros, uh, who would give him the right, which would give him the right to declare health emergencies at will and act on his own. The WHO would have the power to decide what constitutes a pandemic and decide quarantine measures on a global scale. WHO would control the development and safety of new treatments and would decide vaccine mandates for each country. The WHO has already stealthily changed the definition of a pandemic from a disease that causes a lot of death worldwide to a disease that occurs in many countries worldwide. 
oh, that's good, like the cold. Just so we are clear, the proposed amendments empower the corrupt director general to unilaterally declare a health emergency in any nation, even against the opinion of that nation, for any illness that is widespread. And keep in mind that the WHO pandemic, or sorry, preamble, defines its area of concern, this is important, so broadly, it easily encompasses war, child development, education, racial racial justice, etc. So we, I won't keep reading this, but um, it's worth a read. I'll put the link in. Uh, I'll put the link in the chat, or in not in the chat. I mean, you can, here I can do that too. Uh, I'll put it in the show description, but I'll also stick it in the chat for you guys. Here you go. Um, they they are they've already talked about worldwide vaccine passports, um, and again, just like with a lot of other languages, the word. Uh, a lot of other words, the word health, the word safety, those kind of words are being thrown around right now um, to mean anything that people want. So um, you see doctors saying that, well, we need to protest George Floyd because of health reasons, like it's, it impacts our health, right? Or they 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 say, I think I think it was Biden recently who who mentioned something about economics being related to health. I mean, everything's related to health, right? So, you know, uh, they are... Um, casting a very wide net in terms of acquisition of power, both uh, in terms of what they're allowed to control, uh, you know, what they're allowed to call a health crisis, as well as the the depth with which they can control member nations and what they do. So um, that should be concerning to everyone. It's concerning to me. Now, of course, if you have the right executive, you can just yank this completely. I assume you can just say we're not abiding by the treaty. By we're not part of WHO. Trump did pull out of WHO. Uh, Biden uh, or his puppet masters put us back. So that's that. Um, before I continue, though, we got another super chat. So I'm going to read that one. Uh, also from Judge Lot, he says, "I watched them." Thank you, Judge. He says, I watched the Michael Malice episode from last Wednesday with Dave Smith. It was great, but I think last week's Dangerous Thoughts was clearly the superior show. Feel free to puff, puff your chest out. <laughs> I didn't watch it, I, but I, you know what? Those two guys, I find it hard to believe. I appreciate it. I'm flattered, Judge. Uh, but uh, I really like both Malice and Dave Smith, although I'm sure I don't agree with them on everything. Uh, I, I especially like Malice's... Uh, ability to troll he's got he's he's master level master level troll all right so medical authoritarianism the california edition by the way tell michael malice and dave smith i'm happy to come on their show or they can come on here um I know you're not all in California, but often, as it said, how California goes, the rest of the country goes. By the way, I tweeted this, but no one, no one follows me on Twitter, so I'm going to tell you. The pizza guy, I, when you have kids, you order pizza sometimes. The pizza guy showed up yesterday in a Tesla because, you know, that's California. He showed, he showed up in a Tesla. And no, he wasn't like 16 driving his mom's Tesla. He looked like he was in his 30s. <sighs> And the cheap gas down the street is $6.20. So, All right. California. <clears throat> this bill is uh, quite disturbing. This is a bill to amend the professional, uh, the business and professional code relating to, quote, healing arts. So what this is, 
is they're amending the definition of unprofessional conduct. Now, by the way, this is past California Senate. It's not, um, I think it's past the Senate. I don't think it's a law yet. Um, but I don't see anything that will stop this, uh, given who runs the state. So what they're trying to do is change the definition of unprofessional conduct for doctors. And this is important because the, the, I'll read here. Existing law provides for the licensure and regulation of physicians and surgeons by the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California. Existing law requires requires the applicable board to take action against any licensed physician and surgeon who is charged with unprofessional conduct as provided. So the boards are required to take action, i.e. perhaps revoke license or whatever, for anything that's deemed unprofessional conduct. So of course, what do people in Sacramento want to do? The lizard people we have here in Sacramento want to broaden the definition of unprofessional conduct because they want power over doctors, especially they don't like doctors mouthing off about things that they know better about. <clears throat> I'm just going to read the... <laughs> This is the Legislative Council's Digest. This is their words. This isn't an opinion piece. This is how they're presenting this. This bill would designate the dissemination or promotion of misinformation or disinformation related to the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus or COVID-19 as unprofessional conduct. The bill would require the board to consider specified factors prior to beginning bringing a disciplinary action against a physician and surgeon. It would also make fun findings and declarations in this regard. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but misinformation means false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus to an extent where its dissemination constitutes gross negligence by the licensee. We all know there's enough wiggle language there that anything, uh, anything uh, can be there. And since they've already tied environmentalism and climate change to health, I don't know if can a doctor say I'm not sure about the latest climate change report because oh, I don't know, but it's a clear attack on the First Amendment rights of doctors. It is disgusting. It's a step towards authoritarianism, more medical authoritarianism here in California. Um, the Physicians for Informed Consent wrote a nice little letter. I won't read the whole thing, but they say, um, I'll, read, I'll read this section. <clears throat> Without California doctors being able to speak their mind and educate the public regarding COVID-19 or vaccination or any other controversial topic, no other public health laws will matter as legislators will not be able to obtain knowledge from a breadth of physician and surgeon opinions. And the public will not be able to obtain their doctor's honest opinion because doctors who think and act differently from the contemporary applicable standard of care will feel fear losing their medical license. Section 2234.1 of the Business and Professional Code respects and protects doctors who think outside the box. AB 2098 blatantly proposes a new law abridging the freedom of speech of doctors and violating the right of doctors to petition the government for a redress of grievances, which violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. They also went on, because physicians for informed consent are pretty badass, they also went on to attach a... <laughs> Here, I'll read their notice. Notice. If AB 2098 becomes law, then PICs enclosed COVID-19 vaccine mandates, 20 scientific facts that challenge the assumptions, may effectively become banned. So we urge you to read it while you still can. Um, yeah, so look, this is, again, you shut down, uh, this is how you shut down speech, this is how you control the nerve, this is what they want to do. So uh, this is 
medical authoritarianism. I think the, um, I think bureaucrats are orgasmic over this idea that words like safety and health can be expanded to include everything. It's a relatively new phenomenon, and we've kind of seen a little bit of it in the past. It's not brand new, but over the past couple of years, we've really seen people just, you know, drive a wedge into words like safety and health and just rip them right open with the jaws of life and or jaws of death in this case, and just be like, everything in the kitchen sink fits into here. Everything's related to this. And, um, you know, it's, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. It's been a while since I've said this. It doesn't matter what the constitution says if they control the dictionary and the left knows that and they're just controlling the dictionary. They're just saying, well, this means whatever I want it to be. Everything's related to health. Everything's related to safety. What's written down, the law is kind of irrelevant because I'm going to interpret it in this particular way. So, uh, it should scare you even if you are not in California, because I'm sure it will come back to you. All right. Canada, edi Canada edition. <laughs> this is, uh, I guess this is less medical authoritarianism and just straight up authoritarianism, but it's related to COVID-19. So I, I had poetic license. I included it as medical authoritarianism. Remember, I don't, do you remember Justin Trudeau, Justin Fidel Trudeau, he didn't want to have to use the Emergency Powers Act, but you know, the local officials wanted him to, the RCMP begged him, we need you to invoke emergency powers, we can't control these truckers, we can't. Law enforcement needs you, Trudeau. So reluctantly, because he really doesn't like authoritarianism, reluctantly, Trudeau responded to the people. He's a man of the people. Um, and he responded to the people. And he said, oh, I guess we're going to reluctantly have to take this Emergency Powers Act and use it. I mean, I wouldn't want to, but all the law enforcement is saying I have to. Latest article here from Canada, Canadian Press. The Liberals have said law enforcement asked for additional powers that could only be granted by declaring a national emergency. Last week, however, uh-oh, there's that word, however, Commissioner Brenda Lucky, that's her name, also said the RCMP did not ask the federal government to use the act. Hmm. Also, by the way, I forget this part. Ottawa's interim police chief says he did not ask for the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act during the Freedom Convoy in February. He spoke to a parliamentary committee today, along with representatives from the Ontario Provincial Police, the RCMP, and the Gatineau Police, about issues with jurisdiction in downtown Ottawa. Blah, blah, blah. They talked about other stuff. So, oh. Oh, Ottawa didn't. The, by the way, the headline of this article is, Ottawa intern police chief Steve Bell didn't ask feds to invoke Emergency Act. Let's just not talk about it. Let's pretend. I mean, it's so far in the past. It's like a couple months. We can forget that Trudeau is an evil authoritarian, right? He just, you know, we'll forget it. That's okay. We don't need to. That's it. I just want you to know. Sorry, Canada. Sorry, Canadians. All right. We're going to get into some deep stuff now. Before we do, please don't forget to share this content. Subscribe if you're not. 
go to unsafepace.com to support us, all that fun stuff. I need to take a deep breath because I don't like talking about this, this stuff, but I think I need to. <clears throat> all right. Let's talk about this Buffalo shooting. First of all, um, why do we even need to talk about it? Uh, I feel the need to talk about it because those of us, like myself, who talk a lot about a culture war and defending Western civilization, our integrity is impugned. We are maligned when these kind of things happen. We are lumped in with the likes of mass murderers by uh, the corporate press and the cathedral. They paint us all with the same brush. They say this is all, all these people who talk about defending Western civilization are white nationalist murderers or support white nationalist murderers or enable white nationalist murderers. Um, you saw Biden make this kind of a claim when he visited Buffalo. He, he denounced uh, replacement theory, I think, as a conspiracy. Um, Chuck Schumer sent a letter to Fox. He didn't mention Tucker Carlson, but it was pretty clear he was talking about Tucker Carlson blaming him. There's lots of people blaming Tucker Carlson, linking this to Tucker Carlson, saying, well, he uses, you know, the same kind of stuff they always say. He uses coded language to push this. They've, they've called this replacement theory a conspiracy theory. We'll talk about that in a little more detail. Um, but I just, you know, before we even start, I just want to point out that all of this rhetoric is an obvious attempt by the control left, the authoritarian left, uh, to exploit terrorist acts to delegitimize their opposition. That's their goal. They want to continue destroying the West and its values, which is their goal. They do want to destroy the West and its values. They are the enemy. They are trying to destroy Western civilization. Um, and they use these kind of acts to delegitimize their opposition. And I'm going to show you an example of how they delegitimize opposition. Here is an MSNBC <clears throat> interview with an MSNBC guest. Let's take a look at what he says he says well, if you look at counter extremism efforts that have gone well d does it does that help i mean how do you i mean what is your guidance for countering extremism and and these radicalized views that, that donnie said do represent a minority of modern self-identifying republican white men but but a sizable number of them what 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 before we even continue Notice how she's characterizing this, but a sizable number of them. Really? Where's your study? Where's your data for that? It's a sizable number. I mean, I guess technically sizable is any size. One, that's sizable, right? But what she means is, oh, it's not, a, it's not an insignificant percentage. Can you imagine her saying that about any other ethnicity or community? Can you imagine her saying, well... Antifa, it's not all Democrats, but it's a sizable amount that just, you know, want to burn and pillage and kill people, right? They would never say that. But of course, they're characterizing this that way. All right. Does, I mean, does, does having prominent people quit help or do they go underground? Tell, tell us what works. 
My guidance is that we have to treat it as the terrorist threat that it is. You know, we rallied on 9-11. There was no question about what the country was going to do. We are facing the same threat. And we need to go one step further. Mr. Deutsch is on point. We should- I just want to, before I criticize this guy, I do believe he's correct that it is terrorism. Um, it, I mean, we'll get into the motives behind this dude, but it was intended to, it, there was political motivation. It's intended to have an impact. That's by definition, that's terrorism. So it wasn't just he got angry and shot a bunch of people because he didn't like the price of avocados in Buffalo. Like, it was it was a intentional meant to have a political and cultural ramifications intended to terrorize. It does fit the definition of terrorism. So he's right about that. Should label them the domestic terrorist party. If we look at the last decade of data, and, and as you know, I teach. So I, I just want to I know I paused at a weird time. So I want to reiterate what he just said. He just said that we should look at the GOP as a domestic terrorist party. So that's he's not politicizing at all, right? Here, let's see if we can hear him say it again. Well, then the domestic terrorist party, the domestic terrorist party is on point. We should label them the domestic terrorist party. If we look at the last decade of data, and, and as you know, I teach, so I tell my students all the time in the words of W. Edwards Demings, a famous data scientist, without data, you're just someone with an opinion. We had a- okay, so he he just so he did two things. He said we're going to call we should call the GOP a domestic terrorist party. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not using this. You're not leveraging this horrific tragedy uh, for political gain, douchebag. Not at all. Yeah, just how about the entire half of the country that doesn't vote the way I want? They're a domestic terrorist party. That's what they are. Now he just brags about how he's into data. All right, without data, it's just an opinion. Here we go. Here's his data. Here's his idiot's data. 10-year period between 2010 and 2019, where white supremacists were responsible for 78% of the murders in America. In two- That's just outright false. <laughs> he just said white supremacists were responsible for 78% of the murders in America. That's just false. I think he's just misspeaking. He might be talking about like mass murder events like that are defined in the way that I think the FBI defines them and a certain number of people dead or killed or dead or injured or whatever um, through firearms. So he might, he might be talking about that and that I would actually believe it's possible um, because it does tend to be young white men that have that do that. Not that, not to minimize that, but that is a drop in the bucket compared to homicides, even firearm homicides. It's, it's, it's a rounding error almost compared to the number of homicides. But what he just said was 78% of the homicides were, were white supremacists. No one corrects him, by the way, Mr. Data. No one corrects him. 2018, we had 50 extremist murderers in America. They were all committed by right-wing extremists. It's time for the president to do what he was going to do when he announced the plan for the counterterrorism efforts in the country when if he got elected. Put this to the director of national intelligence, make this a national security threat, vet our police departments, and go back and then start to educate local, state, federal law enforcement on what this threat really is and start educating and make our communities aware of how vulnerable they are and how they are that enabling community that needs to rally against this threat. 
Yeah. Okay. So, um, we'll get into some of this, uh, but look, this is blatant. He's just making shit up and he is trying to use it to paint his political opponents as, you know, all white supremacists. It, it, it would be laughable if this was, if this was not mainstream media, this would be laughable. I mean, it would be a stupid thing if it was just some YouTuber saying this, you would laugh at it. But this is how mainstream media is. They let this, these kind of people on. This guy probably makes a bunch of money. He's very well respected. He gets, you know, invited on MSNBC. He probably gets federal money to do some stuff he's doing. I don't know. And, oh, yeah. Here's a fact that I made up. So, so actually, and, and by the way, he's calling all this alt-right terrorism, right? This is all alt-right terrorism. It's all right-wing terrorism. Now, that's actually not accurate. Um, you can call anything you want. I mean, you can label it alt-right if you want. But um, it's actually the control left who've created an environment um, conducive to this kind of thing. Um, they've, they've introduced the racial lens through which they, we're expected to look at everything in society. Um, and they are the ones who've made, uh, who've taken that lens and helped produce violent radicalization because humans can only interact with each other basically in two ways, through words or through violence. Now, the message that we've received from the left and from mainstream generally is the violence of the control left is okay. When Antifa burns things down, it's peaceful. Their violence is okay. It's free speech. But the words of the, quote, alt-right or anyone not on their side, their words are not okay. They need to be censored and shut up. Their words are violence, blah, 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 blah. So the anyone not on the left has been shut up. Now, what option does that leave you for interacting with people? It leaves violence. It's the only resort you have left. All right? And I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially young people, um, who just buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker. It's your message, leftists. It's your message. Right? But it's worth talking about this on a deeper level than, you know, racist, terrorist, white supremacy is the problem, right? True enough, this guy does claim himself to be racist, white supremacist. This is terror. Um, but the question is why, why is this happening? And I'll give you a hint. The preview here is not Russia. It's not Trump. It's not Russia. That's not, it's not Tucker Carlson. That's not why. Let me, there's another super chat. I'm going to take a moment, um, before we go through the facts and get into this again from judge lot, who's just a baller tonight. Thank you, judge lot. He says, Carter, don't you hate it when extreme cringe leftists put you in a position of having to defend the GOP? Yes, I do, because I don't like the GOP. You, you all know I'm not a Republican, but the GOP is not the terrorist party. If anything, the left is the terrorist. I mean, the Democrats are. I mean, they they are the ones who claim Antifa doesn't exist. Um, you know how you know how when anything any kind of violence like this happens, you, you know, it's always the Republicans. Republicans, do you do you denounce this? Blah 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 blah. But when you know when Antifa does bad stuff, or when anyone on the left does anything bad, it's like, man, no one asks AOC if she denounces murder. 
All right, so let's go through some facts. For those of you who are not familiar with this case, let's just start with some facts and then we'll get into some analysis. So uh, this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I'm i not as, I'm generally not as uh, averse to mentioning the names. I don't think he wants fame necessarily. I know that's the, the trope. They just want fame. That may have been true a long time ago, but what we're seeing, these these political acts of, of violence, they're not about fame. You can read what they're about. They tell you what they're about. So, uh, in fact, the Christchurch shooter in his uh, manifesto, which is related to this, we'll talk about it, uh, he didn't mention his own name once. He didn't talk about himself. I mean, he talked about himself. But he didn't mention his name. He wasn't, you know, pushing his name out there. So, anyway, this kid was 18 years old. He lived about 200 miles away from Buffalo, New York. I think he lived down by... Uh, Binghamton or something. Um, and um, he had a little bit of a history. Last June, the police investigated him for threatening other students at his high school. Um, I think the New York governor uh, said that a teacher asked him about his plans after the school year, and he told the teacher, I want to commit murder, and I want to murder and commit suicide. So uh, they sent him to a mental hospital for evaluation and counseling. He was held for about a day and a half. He was released. It wasn't an involuntary confinement. He agreed to go, so it didn't, uh, because it wasn't involuntary, it didn't uh, prohibit him from buying firearms or doing anything else. He was not charged with anything. So he, that was the history that he had. And then on Saturday, he uh, explicitly targeted a Tops, which is a supermarket chain on the East Coast. He explicitly targeted a Tops in Buffalo, New York, because it was in uh, an area whose demographics were predominantly black. He says this explicitly. He live streamed this stuff on Twitch. Um, he ended up killing 10 people, injuring three, 11 of the 13 people. Uh, 11 of the 13 victims were black. And then he was arrested. He wasn't killed, so he's alive and he was arrested. <sighs> Let's talk about his motivation. He has, uh, I mean, there's a lot of documentation here. You don't have to guess. Um, he has an extensive posting on Discord. He also has a 180-page, 180-page manifesto. Um, in fact, I'll show you the cover image of this manifesto. I can find it here. Um, Now it's taking a minute to load. I'll just hold it up to the camera. I don't, sorry, it's taking a long time to load. This is the cover cover image. This is his manifesto. You recognize that? You might recognize that from Azov Battalion. It's a Nazi symbol, uh, popular in Ukraine. We don't talk about that, but that's his, that's the symbol. So it's his 180-page manifesto. Um, I did not read all of it, but I read, I think, most of the salient parts. 
literally something somewhere around a hundred pages are him nerding out on the gear, like this ammo, this this weapon, this you know, uh, this armor, this uh, this strap for the AR. This like he just he he geeked out for like a hundred pages on gear. Um, but the interesting things about his motivation are the relevant things to talk about here. Um, he was explicitly, explicitly inspired by the Christchurch shooter. Now, if you remember in 2019, I think it was April or May or something, um, in New Zealand, in Christchurch, New Zealand, there was a shooter who live streamed the murder of 50 people in a mosque. Uh, and he had a manifesto. I actually wrote a three-part series, um, which I reposted just to our Substack um, because it's relevant. Um, but back in 2019, I, I wrote a three-part series looking at his manifesto and kind of analyzing what he got wrong um, and that kind of thing. There's a reason why we need to take it seriously and analyze what they got wrong because they often mix truths in with non-truths. Um, but anyway, in this guy's manifesto, in the Buffalo Shooters manifesto, he describes his radical radicalization after reading the Christchurch Shooters manifesto. He said, like, that's what he did. He read it, and he says that's what spurred him to action. And the shared theme between the, the two manifestos is this great replacement uh, idea, which we will talk about. This is the thing the left is criticizing Tucker Carlson for. Um... And you can see that right from the beginning, the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto begins with the line, after he has a poem, begins with the line, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates. If there's one thing I want you to remember from these writings, it's that the birth rates must change. He's talking about white birth rates. That's the Christchurch Shooter. This guy's manifesto begins with, if there's one thing I want you to get from these writings, it's that white birth rates must change. All right, so right off the bat, uh, very similar theme. They both have Q&A sections um, in their manifestos um, where it's like they pretend people are interviewing them and they answer questions. Um, this guy also, just like the Christchurch shooter, does recognize, he identifies with this, this label of eco-fascist, although he likes to be called a populist. He says, I would prefer to call myself a populist, but you can call me an ethno-nationalist, eco-fascist, national socialist if you want. He has a question to himself about whether he's a neo-Nazi. He says, on the political compass, I fall in the mild, moderate, authoritarian left category. Now, I prefer to be called the populist. Now, I know the left is going to tell you that anything to do with race and ethno-nationalism is automatically right-wing. Um, but it's really not. Um, and we could get into semantic arguments or philosophic arguments about this, but this guy doesn't identify as being on the right. He's not a conservative. So let's look at his argument. And like I said, the reason we need to understand this guy's argument is he mixes, and this Christchurch shooter did the same thing. He, he mixes facts together with some possibilities that might be true or not, can't really tell, and then outright lies. He puts them all together. They're all mingled. They're all mingled up. A lot of these facts that they include, both of these shooters, uh, are facts that we don't talk about in the mainstream. We're not allowed to talk about in the mainstream. And so 
talking about the facts at all gets relegated to the dark corners of the internet. And the only people talking about them tend to be people with ideologies that are pretty vile. Um, and they, I think they lure people in with facts because they're facts that no one else has talked about. These are the only people talking about that. Uh, people see these facts and like, wow, this lends legitimacy to this entire thing. And they cite Wikipedia and other mainstream sources because these facts are out there. We just are not really allowed to talk about them. And I think one of the reasons I want to analyze this kind of stuff is we need to rob these people of facts. We need to take facts away from the crazies so that when people first hear these facts, they hear them in a context that's not coming from a, uh, a murderer or a, a wannabe murderer, right? They're hearing them in the context of someone who appreciates the Enlightenment and can talk about what to do about these facts, how true or not they are. Um, and instead of adding onto them a whole bunch of ideological tripe. Now, this guy differs from the Christchurch shooter in that he's much less focused on culture and much more focused on race. The Christchurch shooter talked extensively about Western culture. Um, and in his writings, he conflated Western culture with the white race. Um, but culture seemed to be his central concern there. I mean, he did conflate the two. Uh, and we'll talk about why that doesn't make sense. But he conflated the two. But it was the culture that was his central concern. He was very concerned about Islam, thus his attack at a mosque. Um, and he cites lots of Muslim immigration in Europe kind of stats and stuff. So that's the Christchurch shooter. This guy hardly mentions culture at all. This, this Buffalo guy hardly mentions culture. He is almost exclusively focused on race. He probably assumes that culture and race are conflated because he was inspired by the Christchurch shooter. And he assumed that or talked about that being true. Um, so, you know, that maybe is why he conflates the two, but he's very focused on culture, hardly mentions Islam at all. That's not a thing for him. He mentions it in passing a couple of times, but not really relevant to the U.S. It's not his it's not his focus. His focus is explicitly race. Um, so let's look at let's look at his contentions. His main his main argument goes something like this. We'll get in more depth, but his main argument goes something like this. Whites are going to be a minority in the U.S. soon. That's true, actually. Um, quote, immigrants are the problem. That's his second contention. He, he oddly goes from immigrants being the problem to blacks are immigrants, but he doesn't, he doesn't explain well at all because he can't how blacks are immigrants, but whites aren't immigrants. I mean, American blacks are American. They've been here as long as most whites. I mean, they're not, there's nothing, you know, he he does, this guy does say, well, I know there was indigenous people here first, but the whites are kind of settled and entrenched. So they're not immigrants anymore. It's really their land, but he doesn't say the same thing for blacks who were here just as long. So it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So, but that's, that's his, that's his contention. Um, his, his other contention is that Jews are capitalists. Now he, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't know what capitalist means, but he, he has this, he, he uses the word Jew almost as in, in a way that you and I might use the word elites, like the elitist lizard people, right? He, he, Jews are capitalists. He thinks, he thinks they're in control of everything. And he thinks that 
all the problems that he's seeing in society are not um, accidents. They're not um, arising from some complex uh, interplay of ideas and politics and whatever. He thinks that they are intentionally manifest by this Jewish capital class. The Jews are intentionally screwing over Western culture. Um, and he points to this like, you know, he he cherry picks. He looks at the media and he's like, oh, look at all these Jewish people that are in positions of power at all these media companies. And this is his his argument here. Um, of course, there's lots of explanations why Jewish people are disproportionately represented in, in many industries, not the least of which is if you've ever been around a Jewish mom, it's kind of like being around a, uh, a Chinese mom. It's like a tiger mom. Uh, you better be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, you, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of pressure to do that kind of stuff. There's, there's definitely cultural issues that, that probably push people into, um, into the mindset of, of striving and achieving. So, you know, there are some disproportional, uh, numbers of Jewish people in many positions of power, but obviously it's not all of them. And he's kind of cherry picking and he does this. He also has this, he, he also mentions that, well, some Jews are ethnically white, so they're okay. Um, I'm not exactly sure how he makes that distinction, but uh, he's basically anti-elitist slash, he calls them capitalists slash Jews. That's, he's got this, you know, and he basically thinks that all of these others, all these other categories of people that he's laid out, they're all enemies of the white race. That's what he believes. Um, and in one of his, I'm just going to read one of his answers here. So he he asks himself in this Q&A thing, he says, why do you blame immigrants and not the capitalists? That's the question he asks himself. And he says, both are the problem. And I would like to address the concept of hard and soft targets here. Hard targets are people with strong political power, such as presidents, prime ministers, judges, media producers, and military leaders. Soft targets include the everyday man with low, weak political power. To cleanse an area, uh, both must be removed. And then later he says, I'm... I'm simply attacking one at a time. Uh, and then later in the Q&A, he says, I can't possibly attack all groups at once, so I might as well target one. Now, I'm just pointing this part out because these guys, guys like this inevitably talk a big game about how courageous they are and they're, they're dead and gonna, they're going to save save whites from whatever, you know, from some existential threat that they perceive and they talk all this big talk, but then they conveniently go after innocent unarmed civilians instead of the hard targets. Like, why isn't he attacking the military? Go ahead. Like, yeah, no, I'm going to shoot old ladies at a supermarket, right? You guys can do, other people can handle that. You guys go deal with the Secret Service. I'm going to go to a supermarket in a state with draconian gun control measures to make sure that no one can shoot back. There was a security guard, actually, that shot back, but, um, you know. They always pick, because ultimately they're pussies, they always pick, you know, innocent unarmed civilians to shoot, right? So, but he he kind of makes it seem like, well, I, I just picked one at random. Like, I rolled the dice and it was this group. I'll fight this war. You guys fight the one where um, the Secret Service blows your head off. Okay. Let's talk about, so those are his central themes there, his central arguments. Let's talk about the rationale, and I'm going to talk about, and this is where it might get heavy for some of you, I'm going to talk about the truth that's in here and try and separate it from 
just ideology and and stuff that's either made up or like not not truth but kind of mixed in with the same thing um because this is how I think you get, this is how they get people, right? And I'm when I wrote that article in 2019 about the Christ Church Shooters Manifesto, I explicitly said one of my concerns was that people would be inspired by this, not understand the errors in this manifesto, and then act on them. And that's exactly what this guy did. I wish more people would talk about these ideas, explain why they're wrong, sort them out so that when some 18-year-old kid, or I guess he was maybe 16 when he started looking at this stuff, doesn't run across the stuff only in the context of here's a manifesto from a potential mass murderer. So, all right. So, his contentions. One, his contention is white birth rates are low. This is the, um, the great replacement thing. And his contention is that immigrant birth rates are higher, uh, by you know, on the on average, and specifically non-white immigrant populations, their birth rates are higher. Well, uh, that's completely true. That is true. Uh, I just saw an article today. That, I mean, it wasn't released today, but I noticed it today. Brookings Institute says that by 2045, the U.S. will be minority white. That's just true. Sorry. U.S., you know, and that's, that is true. Whites do have a lower birth rate. Other populations do have higher birth rates. Whites will become a minority in, in the U.S., according to the Brookings Institute by 2045. Um, especially when you have this, and, and this is not just a white supremacist idea. I see this from everyone, right? This one drop idea where, like, where, you know, if, if, your great grandfather is black and everyone else in your ancestry is white. You're black. It's like, well, okay, well, I mean, if that's the definition, it's, it's very easy to like claim that no one is white left. Right. So, um, yeah, so that part's true. Now there's an ideology part to this though. The, 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 there's a, a made up part to this, <laughs> right? There's the, there's the crazy part to this, which is, well, not only is that true, but, it's all part of an intentional plan by the Jews to genocide the white race. That's the part that's the conspiracy part, right? Now, in reality, probably the reason that white birth rates are low, um, well, I'll say probably the reason, I won't say probably the reason the white birth rates are low. I mean, there's probably multiple factors to that, leftism being one of them. Um, but one of the reasons why there's this population shift, this replacement, there's a lot of immigration with higher birth rates and and low birth rates for whites. One of these reasons for this shift is probably politically driven. I don't think it's intentionally racially driven, but I think it is politically driven. All right? You you hear the left say Tucker Carlson only cares about immigration from Mexico, but not Sweden, right? <laughs> And they, the implication is that's because Mexico, Mexicans are, are brown and Swedes are white, and that's why he cares about that. But um, Tucker Carlson, like a lot of other people, care about voting patterns um, and cultural mores. I'm not going to get into the truth of any of it, but that's, that's, the mo that's the concern, right? And the fact is that if there are a lot of leftist Swedes coming in, if, that was a, if there was a, as many leftist Swedes at the border as there are uh, immigrants from South America, Tucker would care about the Swedes too. In fact, 
if the immigrants from South America crossing the border were overwhelmingly libertarian, AOC would be crying about not having a wall, right? This is political for, for, for most of these people. This is a political thing. It's not about race. But the left knows that if they make it sound like it's about race, it will be uh, a tool for them that they can that they can use. So the great replacement theory thing, well, part of it's true. There is a demographic shift happening. And there's a motivation that's political behind it. But it's not right. I don't I mean, I don't have any evidence to suggest. I don't think it's evidence that it's racially motivated. And it's certainly not motivated by some cabal of, you know, capitalist Jew lizard people who are trying to genocide the white race. I mean, I, you know, if there's, if there's evidence there. I'd have to see it. Right. So that's the part that's made up. So he, he cites these real statistics, gets people worked up and, and pulls in this narrative to explain these statistics uh, that gins up racial fear. And the big thing to note about this, the white birth rates, and I say this as a white person, is who the fuck cares? I mean, honestly, my youngest daughter's not white, I guess, since the one drop theory. Like, who cares? Who cares? Humans evolve. Like, you know, someday we'll probably all, you know, I don't know, we'll have a third eye and be green. Who cares? And a million, in several millennia, who knows what we'll be like? Who cares? Who cares all right his second contention his second contention is blacks well now by the way I, the reason he cares is because he conflates white with western culture i don't nor should you okay so the second contention here is Blacks are dis disproportionately responsible for a bunch of social ills in our society. And he has, he names like everything from rape and murder to um, uh, a per capita, per capita lifetime budgetary impact that blacks allegedly have to obesity. Like he names a whole bunch of societal ills and says, well, uh, blacks are disproportionately responsible for these. Again, I'm, it's not clear why he rolled the dice and decided blacks were his target, given his the rest of his ideology. But uh, I don't think it was dice rolling. I think it was something else. But he's acting like he just rolled the dice and picked on blacks. Um, OK, so let's look at the truth about blacks being disproportionately responsible for social ills. Well, on things like murder, rape, violent crimes. Yes, that is true. I'm sorry. I don't want it to be true. I hate that it's true. It's true. Uh, let's just cite some homicide statistics from 2018's uh, uniform crime reporting from the FBI. Blacks are about five times as likely to be the perpetrator in homicides, five times as likely as whites. Uh, these are according to my back of the envelope calculations. I've seen numbers that say it's higher, but the number I got for 2018 was five times, right? Now, mostly, Blacks kill other blacks and whites kill other whites. Most of the violence is intraracial. Okay. Um, so mostly it's blacks killing other blacks. Um, blacks, there were, in 2018, there were 2,925 blacks uh, who were victims of homicides. Whites were perpetrators 8% of the time. Blacks were perpetrators 88.888 repeated percent of the time. Um, so it's mostly blacks killing other blacks. 
Um, blacks do kill whites at a disproportionately high rate as well, but it's not significant. It's like 15%, and I think they're 12.1% of the population or something, so it's a little bit more. But, you know, like I said, it's mostly intraracial violence. But if you're just looking at violence overall, then yes, that's true. Obesity. I I just I just looked at some random, like obesity was just a one that I thought was silly, so I wanted to look it up. Yeah, there are higher rates than whites from what I saw, uh, like 42.4%. This is according to Statistia or whatever. Um, just does stats. 42.4% of blacks, 30.2% of whites. Now, okay, yeah, the obesity rate's higher for blacks. It's not, I mean, it's higher. It's, I guess it's higher by a third or so. But it's really horrible for all of us. I mean, 30.2% is horrible for whites. 42.4 is bad for blacks. It's kind of like intra-racial uh, intra violence in that it mostly affects them, like blacks. Blacks being obese affect the obese blacks. Whites being obese affect the obese whites. It's bad for us to be obese as a culture. And apparently, um, blacks are more obese. That might be related to economics. I don't know. Right? Uh, a lot of cheap food is is a bunch of carbs. Super unhealthy. I don't know the reasons behind it. Talks about a budgetary impact. Now, this one was, was I was like, where did this come from? So I tracked this down. <sighs> I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was basically like blacks cost much more over their lifetime. They take much more from the federal government and whites give more to the federal government and taxes, right? That, that's That's the... That's the argument. And I and I looked at where this was coming from. And at first glance, you look at this, and it appears to be true based on the 2014 budget data, which was where this, this information came from that he ended up using. I had to go a few levels of indirection, but that's where ultimately the data set came from, the 2014 budget data. And that budget data breaks down taxes and social program spending based on race. And the person who did this basically said, well, you know, this is how much the, the races pay in taxes. This is how much they get in social programs you know, uh, summed it up, you know, QED, that, that's their argument here. Now, I looked at that and went, oh, gee, that appears to be true. And then I thought, well, there's a caveat here. Um, there's something missing from this, which was, you know, there's an entire, entire financial class and industrial class, bankers, Wall Street people, all the Federal Reserve people, like there's an entire class of people who get loads of money from the government. They're the first ones in line when money printing happens. They, they get preferential treatment in the money printing game. They get subsidies. They get contract work. They're probably majority white. Does that money count? Like if you work for Lockheed Martin and your paycheck comes from a government contract, I'm sorry, but you're on the teat, buddy. Like that counts. So that stuff isn't in there, right? So I don't believe the budgetary impact number is whatever he says it was because I think there's this caveat for all this other stuff. So we don't, I don't know what that number is, but even if it were true, even if it were true that blacks on average get more money out than whites do of the system or put less money in than whites do or whatever, even if that were true, well, the problem would be this incentivization of government subsidies, subsidies in a welfare state, which by the way, was created by whites. They've created urban plantations for blacks. This was done by mostly Democrats uh, and a lot of, you know, cucked conservatives who let it happen. I mean, but like this is the white people created these policies. So I 
blaming the blacks for that is like, you know, we set a bear trap and you stepped in it. Ha ha. You get caught in traps more. It's like, all right, well, I guess. Um, so that's that's, you know, just wrong. Um, and there are the other thing is. He like lists a bunch of social ills. I said he had a bunch of stuff from obesity to violent crime, whatever. There are, by the way, you know, there are other social ills. Uh, entire humanity departments spouting off Marxist garbage and collectivism. Politicians, Hollywood media, all these industries I consider massively social. They're social ills. I mean, setting up a ministry of truth is a social ill, right? I mean, and big time, worse than a robbery. Right. Those are all perpetrated by most of them are predominantly white. Right. So he's cherry picking based on his ideology, based on his desire to vilify um, blacks in this way and saying they're disproportionately responsible for social ills. He's cherry picking social ills. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that blacks are disproportionately homicidal is a problem. But uh, there are a lot of social ills and he's cherry picking these few taking them out of context and saying this is this is because of you know some intrinsic quality about black populations um he also you know look he could have picked shooting rampages again like i said there's a small amount of homicides but if he had picked shooting rampages as a social ill he would have noticed that young white males contribute to them disproportionately All right. You guys mocking for what I'm drinking. I'm I'm drinking water. Then he says that blacks are privileged. Now, one of the most interesting things I find about this is privileged is woke nomenclature. So here's his argument for why blacks are privileged. He says, well, they receive more per capita over their lifetime than whites. We just talked about that. Um, he says they get status as an oppressed class. He says that their bad behavior is ignored and minimized. Okay, so what's true about this? Uh, well, we talked about the budgetary impact stuff. He's right that bad behavior is ignored and minimized. That's true. We don't talk about the crime problem in the black community. We just don't. Not allowed to talk about it, right? If anything, we say, look at all the young black males in jail. It's systemic racism, not stop being violent. That's not all violent. Some of us things that I don't think people should be in jail for, like, you know, pot smoking or whatever. But a lot of it's violent. Um, and he says they have a status as an oppressed class. That's true. And it's odd that that's a privilege because an oppressed class usually means you're underprivileged. It's it's bad to be oppressed, but in the upside down world of leftism, which is in control of our culture right now, being oppressed is a badge and it's a you like you don't need a privilege card. You need an oppressed card. That's that's how you get in the door places. I'm oppressed. Welcome. Right. Um, but obviously, the part that's skewed by his ideology here is blacks do have a lot of disadvantages as well, since we're going to play the collectivist game here, which I don't like playing, but that's the game we're playing for this conversation for his, you know, in his context and in the context of the leftists who, who uh, are using this tragedy to paint Republicans as all evil. They're all playing the leftist. They're all playing the collectivist game. So let's play it. Um, well, there have been some historic disadvantages of blacks in America and 
that might not have no impact that might have actually have an impact. Now I'm actually not even talking about slavery because blacks were doing better after slavery. Uh, there was a period post slavery prior to now where they were doing better. And that period was prior to the welfare state. So maybe a lot of it can be traced back to that kind of stuff, but there are, there have been historically a lot of barriers to economic growth and other measures of achievement and racism has been real. And obviously as this guy demonstrates continues to be real in some pockets of society. So um, you could say, well, they have privilege. If you're doing the, if again, if you're doing the collectivist thing, also a lot of not privilege, right? And as I pointed out, this this concept of privilege is a, is a, is woke nomenclature. And the reason I want to point that out is he's adopted the woke collectivist model. He he is adopting their model, a hundred percent adopting it. He's just playing the villain. He adopted the model and was like, oh, that's the model of the world. I'll be the bad guy. That's what he's doing. And by the way, he had the Waukesha, Wisconsin, you know, the, the Christmas parade where if you read articles, a truck drove through a crowd of, of people on a Christmas parade, killed a bunch of innocent people. Um, well, the truck that magically drove through without a driver happened to be driven by a black driver. He had the names of those victims um, written on his carbine that he used in this attack. So he was he viewed that as a racial attack. I actually don't know enough history to know if it was racial, but I know it was a black guy that did it and white people who were killed. Um, but he viewed that as a racial attack. Of course, uh, the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about that angle. And so instead of a black man hit a bunch of white people, it's a truck hit people on a parade end of story what's you know what's next let's talk about pfizer now or whatever so um so so that's you know that's another one of those arguments is blacks are privileged <laughs> then he cites a bunch of genetic factors to suggest that blacks are problematic as compared to to white he gets he goes into the race and genetics conversation, which is a nice sticky conversation to get into now, isn't it? <clears throat> um, before I move on, I'll do another judge lock <laughs> gives another super chat. Thank you, man. And says, sorry, if I make you lose your train of thought, but is there any truth to the racial inequity, white versus black in imprisonment rates for marijuana? Um, I believe there is, uh, I believe there is some truth, but I'm not hundred percent sure. The reason I believe there's some truth is, uh, if you want to get someone for something else, uh, marijuana possession is like an extra add on thing and you can get people to plea down to it. Um, and also I suspect that there is, I, I don't, I don't buy into a lot of the racial profiling thing and I don't want to get into that discussion now, but, um, there is this belief that cops always racially profile and blah, blah, blah. I, that's not, there's studies to suggest that's not actually true. Um, a lot of cops that do a lot of the stuff are black cops in inner cities. So I, I don't totally know the answer. I think probably there is some truth to that inequality, but it's blown out of proportion. That's my gut, but I haven't looked at data in a while. I did at one point research it a little bit. I just don't remember too many of the details to defend my position on that. Sorry. All right, so he gets into genetic factors between races. 
Um, and the two main ones are IQ and this claim that blacks are more prone to violence. Those are his two big things. He says they have lower IQ and they're prone to violence. And, and this is intrinsic. That's what his argument is, not just like you know, because of circumstances or whatever, but but intrinsic. Uh, so let's talk about what's true. There are average IQ differences between races. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't want to have to say that. But we can't really study why if we can't talk about it. And, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa IQ is very low, very low. Um, my guess is that malnutrition plays a role um, in, in that measurement uh, because there is massive starvation and malnutrition problems and a whole bunch of other problems in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, but we can't really have that conversation at all. Um, and, and, and that IQ difference isn't limited to residents of Sub-Saharan Africa, though, although it's much bigger with Sub-Saharan Africa. So, um, look, we all know, we all know intuitively that IQ is partly, at least partly genetic. I don't think it's fully genetic. I think it's the correlation somewhere, you know, 0.5 or 0.4 or something like that. But we all know this intuitively. Right? This is why you don't marry a stupid person, right? You, you don't want your kids to be stupid. Everyone knows that. We just don't, it's like as soon as we mention that it's genetically related and then move somewhere out, like move forward with that assumption about anything else. Like, hey, we know it's this, but don't apply it to this thing over here. We all apply it in our everyday lives. We know that, right? We know that. It's, it's how you pick marriage spouses, right? It's how you pick the mother of your kids or the father of your kids. It's it's a factor. It's not the only factor, right? But it is a factor. Um, so we kind of know that intuitively. Um, we also know that there's a cognitive repertoire difference. Um and cognitive repertoire is more of a, I'll say, a, it could be related to IQ, but it could be like a psychological profile difference, right? And I just, before we get into this, I just want to say, look, it's completely, just disconnect your emotions from this for a second, because I don't like that any of this is true, but disconnect your emotions for this for a second. It's completely irrational, to assume that there are no cognitive differences, even if they're like equivalent in whatever measurement you want, but like just different. It's completely irrational to assume that there are no cognitive differences between genetically distinctive population groups. It's just, that should be so obvious. And I'm going to, I'm going to read a couple quotes. Charles Murray, we had Charles Murray on, on safe space a while ago. He's the author of, uh, the Bell Curve, but he's also the author of Human Diversity, which is a very interesting book I, I recommend. And he has 10 propositions at the uh, in his book. And these propositions, I'm going to read them as he worded them because uh, – I'm going to read two of them. As he worded them because uh, he was very careful. He was explicit to say this. Very careful about the word choice and language because he wanted to be accurate with respect to current data that's widely accepted in the field. Right. This is not fringe stuff. He wanted to be very clear about the words he was using. Okay. And one of his propositions relates relates to this myth that there's no such thing as race. People, it's not really race. Okay. I don't know how you can have racism without race, but that's a leftist thing you hear. Um, or that it's just a social construct. 
here's Charles Murray's uh, proposition about this. Human populations are genetically distinctive in ways that correspond to self-identified race and ethnicity. If you, it turns out, by the way, this is me speaking now, not Charles Murray. It turns out, by the way, if you if you map a bunch of genetic qualities uh, and you start to see clustering and those, those clusters correspond to what people call race, like, oh, this cluster is Asian and this cluster, like, that's what happens. You just look at the data. It's not, you don't invent it. You just do it and there it is. Like they cluster analysis, boom, clusters pop out. Which shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> this shouldn't be surprising. Um, the second myth is that there's been no evolution since we left Africa. Now, I don't know why people even talk about that as a thing, because clearly there's differences physically. We see them. That's why we have racism, because we see differences. Uh, so clearly there's been some pressure. But he, here's here's Charles Murray's proposition related to this. He says, quote, evolutionary selection pressure since humans left Africa has been extensive and mostly local. Again, that should be obvious, right? Skin color is a is a genetic adaptation. One skin color is not better than another unless you live in a certain place. And I guess then one is better than the, like, you know, one adapts, one is more adaptive to certain environments than the other one. Like that's, that's what happens clear that clearly that happened evolutionarily. I, like you have to be putting blinders onto reality. It's just, it's, it's moronic to say like there was no evolutionary pressure. Like clearly there was evolutionary pressure. People look different, <laughs> and and that's that causes problems in society. All these problems we're talking about is because people look different. You can identify people, and some people are bigots about it. Like that's clear, right? That's obvious. Now, what people like to say is, well, those were just physical, only physical evolutionary pressure. That is stupid. I'm sorry, but that is stupid. It's, it's denial of reality. That's not how evolution works. It's much cheaper evolutionarily to change behavior than it is to change physical characteristics. It's that behavior changes happen much more quickly. Um, and I've talked to evolutionary biologists about this and other species as well. It's just as an example, it's much quicker to evolve the behavior to seek shelter than to evolve a hard shell. Like that's, it's, that's just how evolution works. So humans, uh, our brains are huge. There are primary means of survival. The idea that a bunch of mostly irrelevant things like skin color had were subject to evolutionary pressure and changed, but the brains didn't change at all and there's no adaptation whatsoever. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. And the fact that we can't say that, I mean, I'm they might ban this conversation from YouTube. I might get in trouble for this on YouTube, but it's just I'm just stating facts. We're not allowed to even say that there's differences. People are so hypersensitive about this. And the only, often the only people talking about these differences are crazy racists who want to go shoot up grocery stores because no one else is talking about them. Now, I don't think we need to talk about them normally. They're not relevant for day-to-day -day operations normally. They don't matter. Uh, especially because, you know, we deal with individuals on a on a day-to-day -day basis, right? But if we're going to analyze groups which the left loves to do and make conclusions about like, well, all whites are racist and, you know, these people have this problem because of these people. And like they 
that's how they analyze things constantly. Central planners love to group people into categories and and say this is this and that that and these people are this and like these people are being oppressed by these people. Like that's what they do. If we're going to have group discussions about groups on average, then we need to be able to talk about these facts and these differences on average because they might be contributing factors. <sighs> Now let's talk about some of the problems with, so what I said might be something you want to hear. I'm not even going to get into what the differences are. It's not relevant, but I am going to get into how he then uses these to draw conclusions that are wrong and irrational and uses them to support racism because we need to separate these two things out. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, these, this, this stuff gets used to justify heinous behavior. So look, um, first of all, he incorrectly dismisses the fact that the variance within groups is much greater than the variance between groups. This is the same as actually as sexual differences as well, right? And he, he, he thinks he's dismissing it. Um, I don't want to get into the technicalities, but he's statistically wrong in how he did. He's just wrong. Just wrong, just dumb. It's just wrong. Um, and so he dismisses this. But with the variance within groups is greater than the variance between, what that means is functionally, if an individual walks up to you, you can't predict what he's going to be like based on his race. Individualism handles this just fine, by the way. Right? If you're a collectivist, maybe this is a problem. Ah, I gotta be able to know what the person's doing because of their race, right? He ain't black if you didn't vote for Joe Biden, right? Like, but if you're an individualist, you're not trying to figure out what they're going to do based on the race. You're going to have a conversation with them, right? Um, and look, that, I mean, again, that should be obvious. There's really stupid people of every race, and there's brilliant people of every race and sex, right? So it, it should be clear that there's quite an overlap, regardless of what the averages are. There's a huge overlap, and that should be obvious, right? That should be obvious. Um, but he dismisses this overlap. He doesn't really talk about this overlap properly, and he he dismisses it. He also treats average IQ as some critically important measurement. Now, um, if IQ is important, then it's probably some minimum threshold, and you should make an argument that stupid people shouldn't vote or something like you know, I'm open to arguments for the problem with democracy and a bunch of dumb people voting. Like that does happen. It's not racial, right? Like, you know, I'd rather uh, Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell vote than the average white person any day, right? Like there's, it's not a racial thing. Um, so he, he makes it this, this average IQ as if it's some critically important thing and it's irrelevant for individuals. Um, and look, I would say <laughs> going after a particular race and deciding to murder a bunch of innocent people because they are of a race is in itself low IQ. His analysis of IQ is a low IQ analysis of IQ. So maybe he should have just killed himself. Um, also, uh, IQ is not a moral measurement, and I want to really underscore this. It has nothing to do with morality. It's zip. Zero. And there's some weird studies that, like, 
there's a sweet spot for uh, like too dumb doesn't do a lot of bad things. There's a sweet spot for criminality and smart. Doesn't, like there, there's some arguments about that. But in general, IQ is not a moral. You don't like you don't get your IQ number in. That's not like your moral grade, right? It's not like, oh, 85, you're immoral. 150, you're moral. Like that's not how that works. Not how IQ works, right? Um, IQ is, you know, the analogy that it often uses like being smart is like having a really good engine in your car, a better engine, right? You go faster. Great. That's great. But a lot more than the engine matters, right? Um, <laughs> the steering matters. <laughs> the suspension matters. The body of the car matters. Like a whole bunch of stuff matters. And of course, the driver matters hugely. And his map matters where he's going. So, okay, some people's cars are smarter than other people's. It might be correlated. It is correlated to genetics. And there might be an average difference. It's an average difference, lots of overlap. And it's not a moral issue anyway. So that's one error he makes here. Um, also, he conflates personality traits with, with violence. And personality traits are not defects. I mean, they can't. They can be. We, we see a lot of cluster B behavior uh, recently, but um, they're not inherently defects. So the, the the let's go off the big five personality scale. There's openness, extroversion, neuroticism, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Oh, those are the big five. Those are the empirically derived measurements of personality. They are a mix of environment and genetics. They are partly genetic. That is true. Okay. That's why women have higher neuroticism. Um. Their genes are different on average. Doesn't mean that every woman is more neurotic than every man, just like every woman is not shorter than every man. We're talking about averages. I shouldn't have to say that. So everyone's a, a, mi a mix of these five psychological traits, right? Now, I don't know what he means by tendency to be violent and aggressive. Like that's what he's talking about with blacks. So they tend to be violent and aggressive. And he's citing these statistics for crime. Uh, I assume that that would relate to kind of a lower agreeableness score, probably, right? Um, maybe that's what he's, he's, you know, we'll be talking about if he was using psychological terms. Um, but there is no, like, psychological trait of violent criminal or aggressive. Like, that's not a psychological trait. So there aren't differences on that scale because that's not a scale. Maybe there are, I don't know, but by the way, this area, I don't know what the differences are at all. I know some about the IQ differences. I don't know. I know that there are probably, I think there are differences, but I don't know what, I don't remember what they are. I don't know what they are, but let's assume maybe it's lower, lower agreeableness. I don't know. Maybe that's what he, maybe that's the aggression thing. Well, let's, if it's lower agreeableness um, and that leads to aggression somehow, uh, there's a conflation here that happens. Aggression isn't bad all the time. Aggression can be good. It can make you super successful in business or in sports or in politics. Like you could really have that competitive edge and be aggressive. That could be a good trait. It could make you an, a mighty defender of the innocent and a champion for just causes. That aggression could be good. Right? So he conflates, I think he's conflating extra testosterone with aggression somehow. I think that's what he's doing. Um, and he's saying that's violent. That equals violence. That's not true. Even if that equals aggression, aggression doesn't necessarily equal violence, right? You could channel aggression to be all sorts of things. It doesn't mean you have to be a murderer, right? And, the, you know, the car analogy will say, 
I'll get back to the car analogy as an example. Like, uh, you know, you could have better acceleration or better cornering. Those things don't mean that you're going to run people over. Where you're driving the car means you're going to run. Like, that's what dictates whether you run people over. So even if there is some more, like, more aggression, and again, I don't, I don't know. I think there is higher testosterone in blacks versus, like, Chinese races, but I don't, I don't totally remember. Um, I didn't bother to look it up because I don't care. But even if there is, like, higher testosterone, it doesn't translate automatically into, you know, 5X murderers. Right. That's not where that comes from. So obviously there is more violence in the black community. We've just talked about it, but it hasn't always been there. Like the homicide rate in 1950 was, you know, overall was 4.6 per whatever, a thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever. In 2020, it's 6.5. It's like a 41% increase. Now that's not by race. That's overall, but I assume that, you know, we can assume it kind of tracks. The black community has not, uh, always been always had the same violence problem that they have now and if anything by the way their genetics have been diluted because there's interracial marriages and stuff so people are you know quote quote less pure black right so clearly that's not the issue it's not a genetic issue right so maybe we should have a real discussion about what the issue is it's not all economics by the way either there is a cultural problem in the black community we could get into lots of you know, reasons why that is uh, a lot of them might involve racist white people pushing policies to build urban ghettos and other stuff. Like we can get into all that, but we can't have the discussion if we just don't admit some facts and we don't say, yeah, look, there are these differences. Some of these differences don't matter. Maybe they matter if we're going to measure this or that. And like, so we shouldn't freak out if there's a difference over here, but they don't help us solve any problems, right? They don't help us solve any problems. So he's wrong about all that stuff in terms of its application to all that, right? So, why are we, why are we really talking about this? Let's just step back and, and think, why are we talking about this? Okay, he sees something wrong with America. And he's not the only one. A lot of young men do, a lot of people do. They see something wrong with America because there is something wrong with America. The West is dying ideologically. It's a real problem. It kind of reminds me of the Occupy Wall Street people. They saw a real problem. They thought it was capitalism. That wasn't the problem. Capitalism wasn't what was happening, right? But they identified a real problem. He's identifying a problem, sort of. I mean, he misattributes the reasons. He, he feels like something's wrong. He feel, let's say it that way. I don't think he intellectually identifies anything correctly, but he feels like something's wrong. And a lot of young men do feel like something's wrong, right? Because there is something wrong. But engaging with ideas, doing what we just did, even just analyzing this stuff, uh, talking about philosophy, analyzing enlightenment, thinking about complex ideas, learning this stuff, it's complex. It takes work. It takes patience. You'll probably get stuff wrong. You'll have to correct yourself. There aren't short-term payoffs. You might get ostracized, even if you make massive impacts in, in kind of understanding and, and making some kind of uh, change ideologically through argument. You're probably not going to see that change in your lifetime. You'll probably be long dead right before any impact you have. So instead of doing that hard intellectual thing and try and figure out intellectually 
Why is the West dying ideologically? What does it mean to be the West? What's the what's the value of the West? Why is it instead of doing any of the hard intellectual work because it's hard? Uh, he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, "Well, I'm just going to accept the left's collectivist framing." He adopts woke wokeism basically. He 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 accepts the whole shebang. Everything's about race. The left made it that way. Okay, morality is tied to rest race. Okay, he says, "Great sins are generational." Okay. Right, the left, you know, as much as they hail the diversity, they, I, the left actually does believe that cultures are distinct and they shouldn't really intermingle. And you can tell this because they, at the one hand, they say they want diversity, on the other hand, they say you can't do cultural appropriation. So what does that mean? What are they arguing for? Well, we want bodies in here that are different, but you're not allowed to assimilate culturally. I mean, that's a recipe for conflict. That's how to make human TNT. That's what it is. You have to all hang out together, but you can't assimilate. You're not allowed to assimilate. You have to continue doing things differently and not grow together and assimilate. Assimilate. Well, it's a recipe for disaster. That's what the left's been pushing, right? He accepts all of that, all of those tenets. He just accepts the framing. And then he makes the, because he read the Christchurch shooter thing, he, he assumes that whiteness is Western civilization because he hasn't bothered to think about what the hell Western civilization is, right? By the way, uh, I said he assumes that whiteness is Western civilization. In his Discord, I, I also looked through his Discord. In his Discord, he cited this. Do you remember this? This is from the Smithsonian. Remember this whiteness, this whiteness graphic? It's hard to read the way I have it on the screen right now. Uh, but I, we shared this previously. I know I've shared this before. I'm just going to read some parts of this. This is from mainstream culture. This is from the left. This is what they're saying. This is what they're telling him. These are things that are white. Rugged individualism. Self-reliance. The nuclear family. Objective rational linear thinking. Cause and effect relationships. Quantitative emphasis. Hard work. Goal orientation. Time, following rigid time schedules, i.e. showing up on time. Future orientation. Delayed gratification. By the way, delayed gratification is IQ in many ways. All right. The ability to project into the future and, and use your prefrontal cortex to suppress urges that are not in your best interest in the long term. That's what that is, right? Justice. <laughs> Competition, communication, you know, all this stuff. Sorry, I'm reading a larger version here. I know you guys can't read it very easily, so I'll, I'll remove it. But he cites this, that's in his Discord channel. He cites that as evidence. This is, he's using their framework. It's his, it's their framework. He, he cited that. So he's told by the left, hey, Western civilization is whiteness. He's like, all right, well, I guess we need to save the white people then. It's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty low resolution interpretation, but it comes from the left. It's their interpretation. They gave it to him. They gave it to him. So what's his goal here? He goes for... What, what I would refer to as a quick get get rich quick scheme for saving Western culture, which he doesn't understand, right? Instead of doing the hard thing, 
figuring out what Western culture is, what the value of it is, making arguments, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, a Western culture, they say it's whiteness, so we need white people. I'll go kill some black people. I'm gonna get rich quick. Like, get, get, quote, get rich quick. That's what I'm going to do. And his goal here explicitly, he states it is, is he doesn't use this word, but it's accelerationism. He he wants his actions to, to have a backlash. He wants more gun control. And the reason he wants that is he's hoping that it will spur people who say, from my cold, dead hands, to get up and fight. He wants to bring this stuff to a head. He's an accelerationist. He wants to bring this stuff to a head and force whites to fight the battle that he believes he is at the forefront of starting. And of course, the scheme works just as well as all get-rich-quick schemes. It doesn't. It brings you to financial ruin. In his case, it brings him to moral ruin and hurts all of us. So really quickly, just in case I haven't made this point 10,000 times before, what is the West and why are we going to save it? Why should we save it? The West is not about whiteness. It's about individualism. It's about the cultural values. Uh, there's there's specific philosophical uh, products of the Enlightenment that were adopted in America. A rational metaphysics, generally. Rational epistemology. Individualist ethics. Um... You know, these things, this individualist ethics is why you get um, individual rights being antecedents to government, right? The, the rational epistemology is this, is this idea that we just looked at in the, in the Smithsonian thing that there's, a, there's objective objectivity and reason, right? This is not whiteness. This is not whiteness. This is, these are products of the Enlightenment. Europe White Europe existed for millennia, and it mostly sucked just as much as everywhere else mostly sucked. Sometimes it was worse than other places. It's not whiteness. If it were whiteness, there would be this would be a you know, I don't know, ten thousand year old thing. It would be like it's not whiteness. There were ideas that mattered that took hold, partly in Europe, more so in America. Never fully. Those are the ideas that make Western culture successful. Those are the important ideas. Our skin color and even our evolved cooperative strategies. I, I talk about what that is in in uh, in the article about the Christchurch shooter manifesto. But uh, you know, basically, cultures got philosophical stuff and then evolved co cooperative strategies and then some aesthetics. Like those are kind of the components of culture. Um. So skin color, aesthetics, evolved cooperative strategies, they're, they're irrelevant here. Cultures change, cultures evolve, they assimilate things, things that you, you know, things you think are Japanese, they got from Korea or China or whatever, like cultures evolve. That's what they do. And they, they assimilate and they, they bring other cultures together, things evolve, humans change, humans evolve. The preservation of the status quo is not a goal. It's why conservatism is stupid. It's it's not a rational goal. The philosophical aspects of culture matter because they directly affect how you interact with the world and how you interact with other people. And individualism is what makes Western culture unique and worth saving, and it's the opposite 
of wokeism and the opposite of his um, white supremacy. This guy's white supremacy and wokeism and Ibram X. Kennedy, they're two sides of the same coin. They're the same thing. They're just two different sides of the same coin. Neither, neither one of which are, are Western civilization. Uh, Judge Lot says, Susan blocked my super chat, so I sent you a message. Uh-oh. <laughs> right, I got to find where you sent me a message, man. Uh, I'll try and find it. I don't see it, but tell me where you sent it, and I'll, I'll look for it. Um, look, the actual, so there's an analogy I thought of here that um, maybe will help you think about what battle we should be fighting and the different realms that you can fight in and, and why some are better than others. Um, <clears throat> the actual battle to save Western civilization is a battle uh, with ideas, not with people. Yeah, there are people that embody ideas and do horrible things, sure. This guy's one of them, right? Um, but it's a battle of ideas. And the way that, you, like, I'm a, I'm a electrical engineer, device physics background originally, and then a cryptographer, so I'm kind of a nerdy computer guy. Um, so this is the analogy I'll come up with if you're not a computer person. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you get what you get with me. Uh, you can think of people largely as hardware. This isn't a perfect analogy, but you think of people as hardware. They're the hardware that that like your computer, their computer hardware, the microprocessor, and blah blah blah. And there's there's differences in processor speed and you know number of slots and bus speed and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and maybe there's even differences in BIOS, which are maybe some genetic cognitive repertoire stuff, right? But that's people. Um, politics or software that's running on those computers. Politics are the apps that are running on those computers doing things. Philosophy and psychology, I've, I'm going to group philosophy and psychology together. I've talked about the dance between those two and how they're related uh, in the past. It's, some, it's a, a topic that's important to me, and I'll continue to talk about it in the future, but I don't want to rehash it right now. But philosophy and psychology are the operating system underneath the apps running on the hardware. And ideas when we're out talking when the hardware is out sending messages and receiving messages think of those as ideas right ideas are mind viruses and they can modify the operating system they can modify the software right a, a really powerful one might modify the operating system a surface level might just modify some politics might, might modify the software right? But a really powerful idea might modify your philosophy. In fact, um, this relates to the origin of the word meme. People think of memes as kind of what I'm saying. Like, I mean, usually they think image with stuff on it, but it's this idea that gets transmitted and it changes the way you think or whatever. Memes were, that's not a computer term. I mean, it's been, it's been taken over and it's become a computer term. That term, to my knowledge, was, was coined by Richard Dawkins in Selfish Gene, and it's about ideas. He, it's about ideas spreading. He talked about memes propagating like genes. He, mental genes is kind of how he was thinking of it. 
and how ideas propagate and mix. And then you get the child of those ideas and that propagates. That's how that's how the word meme came about. It's been now applied to images with, you know, impact font on top of them. But um, that's what memes are. And these memes haven't they have an ability to modify the apps running on it and modify the operating system. And our battle here, our ultimate battle is, is with these memes. It's with these ideas. It's with these mind viruses, right? You could go out and kill all the commie operating, like all the hardware running commie operating systems and, and, and communism, but communism will return because the meme is out there, right? And actually it's a virus that can survive dormant in a text, right? So it can be opened up later. Even if you kill everyone who believes it, someone can find the work later and open it up and, and read it or get reinvented, right? So um, the battle is with these mind viruses. The, the battle, I don't want to, virus sounds really negative. Some of them are good ideas, but the battle is a battle of ideas. Running around knocking off hardware is not going to help, right? It's an intellectual battle. That's a harder battle, right? Instead of spending two years prepping starting at 16 and then writing a geeky 100-page thing about your weapons and then shooting innocent people like a coward, you might spend 20 years. You might spend two decades instead of two years prepping and honing your skills intellectually, making errors and correcting and trying to find the right arguments. So often I'm trying to find, like, I understand something, I'm trying to find the right way to transmit it to people, and I fail all the time. And you don't get intermediate or uh, sorry, immediate. You don't get immediate satisfaction of your results. It's not like, you know, you don't just go out and like, yeah, yeah I achieved my goal. You know, I killed innocent people and pat yourself on the back. Right. Which, I mean, we're putting the morality of this aside for a moment because obviously it's horrible, but you don't get immediate results. Like I want to kill ideas and raise up other ideas. I want, I want to live in a world where eventually collectivism is such a crappy idea that everyone laughs at it. No one ever takes it seriously. It's just viewed as dumb and it's a dead idea. I'm not going to be alive for that. I'll be long dead. My grandkids will probably be dead if that happens. So it's not, there's not a lot of like immediate gratification of like, yeah, woohoo. Killed that idea. On to the next one. It's a long-term battle, right? And in this battle, uh, there are some people that are, this is why, by the way, I'm not focused on politics as much, right? There are some people that are very fo focused on politics, right? They're wanting to make easy, visible changes to the apps running on this software. Get you to vote away, do this, blah, blah, blah. They're never going to win in the end because the mind viruses that, that rewrite operating systems are still out there. They're just going to come in and undermine everything. It's like rewriting the dictionary. Oh, you can change your law, but we're, you know, we took ownership of the word health and safety. Okay. Right. So like those ideas are out there. They're, they're going to win. Someone needs to fight the battle of the, the fundamental ideas that are out there, controlling the operating systems, modifying the operating systems, generation after generation after generation. And, you know, there's some people like this jerk who are focused on the hardware and they're like, aha, it's these people, and it's not even this person who I think is evil. It's just he's a member of a group that I think is bad for some reason that actually doesn't make sense because I don't understand how uh, Western civilization works in any way, uh, so I'm going to go murder them, right? And not only is he obviously being evil, um, he's perpetuating the collectivist mind virus. He's, you know, he's just, he's introducing, it's like we're all infected with, uh, you know, one form of cancer, and he's introducing another form of cancer. It's like, thanks buddy. 
Um, and on top of it, he's killing people. So um, you know, there's always going to be hardware out there to get infected with mind viruses. Maybe the processor speeds and BIOS are partially inherited and there's going to be differences. So what? It's the operating system that matters. That needs to be based on individualism. Um, individualism as an idea is new. It's super new in terms of uh, how humans have, have uh, behaved historically. It's super new. It is superior morally to other bad ideas like collectivism out there. It leads to thriving. And it's super fragile because it's so new. So few people understand it. So few people think it's important. So few people understand that it's why we have the success that we've had. Even people who think they're defending Western culture don't understand that they need to be defending individualism. They don't know what it means. A lot of people on the right think of individualism as the problem. They they think individualism means like, you know, calling yourself, your, your pronouns are fish and fish self. And like, that's not individualism. Like they don't understand even what the words mean. So it's it's misunderstood and it's very fragile, but it's the most precious idea we've got is it's a rational philosophy with individualist ethics. It's it's what we have, it's what's keeping us alive. It's 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 why the Western cult Western culture has been more successful. And that's what we need to preserve, and that's the battle we need to fight. And it's a long battle, and it's a harder battle, and you don't get to see the results easily, but it's a moral battle. And uh crap like this. And crap like characterizing this as if all Republicans, for example, are, are now white supremacist terrorists, like all this stuff, all that stuff's evil, all of it's bad. Right? And we need to keep fighting for individualism. <sighs> all right. Let me see if I judge lot says he sent me a message. I just can't find it. Sorry, man. I wanted to I wanted to show your message on screen. I don't I don't see it anywhere. I don't see it in Discord. I don't see it in email. So uh, I assume it was brilliant. We're just gonna have to all assume everyone um everyone thank Judge Lot for his brilliant insight. Whatever it was. All right. Look at that. Two hours. I thought this would be a short show. I'm going to look through uh, chat for a second. I don't think there's anything. Is there anything else that I need to address? Um, <laughs> Wicked Sykes says, Carter has some good points sometimes, but I sometimes think he gets caught up in news topics. It's interesting that you say that. I actually hate talking about news topics. Um, but it's But people want to hear news topics. And if I put stuff in context of news topics, more people listen. If I just was going to like... Hey, let's talk about, you know, racism as an ideology, whatever, like people don't want to hear that. Um, oh, Judge Lott says he sent two messages on here. Let's see. He writes. Dun, 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 dun. Well, I see one of them, Judge Lott. I'll read one of them. The one I see is. Also, in terms of highly divergent populations, it's more complex than just a pure number comparison. I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but uh, yes, 
if you're talking about the complexity, I mean, I glossed over a lot of complexity about how genetics works. It's horrible. Because I don't understand about how I don't understand all of how it works. And I understand a lot more than I just shared. And I still don't understand all of it. So um, there is there's a lot of complexity to how uh, how traits arise, how phenotypical traits actually end up arising and get manifest. And like there's a there's a lot of complexity there. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's totally necessary to understand. I think you just need to understand, look, this is, um, you know, looking at average IQ is a stupid way to view the world. Right. And, um, and it's a way to destroy Western civilization. He's going to end up destroying it. Not he's helping, he's helping the leftists who want to destroy it. That's what this guy's doing. All right. Anyway, thank you for, um, for joining me tonight. Those of you who continue to support us financially thank you you can go join them on safespace.com if you want you get your name in the credits discord access cool mugs i know i need to ship some mugs in fact i think judge law i owe a grenade mug too um a reminder about next week's episode we're going to try and do this more community driven no topics short show so i guess that's good for me um but i don't know i'm nervous about it if you've got stuff you want talked about please either send it beforehand or like I said, speak at unsafepace.com or, uh, or on discord. If you remember the discord community or Twitter or Gab or whatever, let us know or just bring it to chat. And you're probably going to have to throw it into super chat. Not because I'm trying to be uh, money grubbing, but I probably won't notice it unless it's bold in the super chat. Cause I can't read the chat while I talk. Um, anyway, in general, uh, as always, I love topic suggestions, you know, not from, not just next week, but, always i like the thoughtful feedback um tomorrow night there's token minority report with beverly and friday there's the free association episode with uh my interview with scott horton so go check those out and um i guess that's it have a good night everyone i will see you when do i see you next i'll see you next on well you'll see me on friday but it's not live but i'll see you live next on monday for narrative dissonance at 2 p.m pacific all right later Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be upsetting to Brian Stelter. Please do not expose him to it. For completely legitimate reasons. Taylor Lawrence is requesting any information you may have about the following individuals. The Twitter subroutine appears to be malfunctioning. Pay no attention to it. Did you know that the word liberty is a dog whistle for insurrectionists? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. 
hope it don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.